I thought Norbert was going to host today. <laughs> I never said such thing. Well, that that's because we didn't ask you. We we voted you in while while you while you we were waiting for you. The joys of being <laughs> late to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Automatic main host duty. Welcome to Mintcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. Live from the backup studio, I'm Joe. Hi, this is Tony, and I'm singing like a swan. I'm Norbert, and I have created Frankenstein's monster. And I'm Josh, Slayer of the Mighty Chicken of Bristol. This is episode 375, recorded on Sunday the 28th November. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at midcast at midcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Midcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram or Discord or Facebook or post directly midcast.org. First up in the news, a German state chooses Linux. Slackware is closer to a release date. Cinnamon has an update. And more. In security, more ransomware for Linux. The EU wants more cybersecurity. Apt is now safer to use. Then in our wanderings, I have Bluetooth problems. Norbert goes mad scientist. Josh does flip. And Tony has some sad news. And in the news. No more Microsoft. This German state plans to switch 25,000... Windows PC to Linux and LibreOffice. This is from its FOSS. Uh, Schleswig Holst. Do you do you want to say that, uh, uh, Norbert? I'm no German expert, but probably Schleswig Holstein. The northernmost of the 16 states of Germany plans to switch to open source solutions on all PCs in its administration and schools. The transition also involves replacing Microsoft Office with LibreOffice. They are ready to adopt open source tools and solutions for everything viable. They have plans to power up their cloud infrastructure, and they also scaled up their video conferencing network using a Jitsi-based open source system. Uh, Microsoft is undoubtedly a dominant force globally for its software. However, with an open source model being chosen as a priority by governments, it should considerably influence the people in power to embrace open source. Uh, Joe Ressington and the gang were talking about this on Late Night Linux uh, earlier on in the week. And uh, I think it was Berlin, wasn't it? Or no, Munich, wasn't it? That went open source and Linux and then went back to Windows. But this time, I think this uh, particular uh, state have decided to do it on a gradual rollout where they're going to roll out some of the applications that work in windows like libreoffice and things like that to get people used to using the applications before they actually implement the desktop linux not only that but just the buzz that i've read um i believe from our own telegram um was that you know munich you tried to roll their own version of linux and these guys here are planning on using uh, a, what, Ubuntu or something? Which one was it? I don't know which one they've actually chosen. So then they don't have to worry about their own updates and things like that. Yeah, they are employing a company to actually support it for them. And, and that will make things much easier for them. Is it Susa? It might be. I don't know. Uh, so did Munich call their distro uh, Munich, at least? That, that would be hilarious. <laughs> Well, hopefully, whatever way they go, they stick with it this time. Yeah. It kind of makes me think, uh, why haven't more governments uh, migrated to Linux so far? Maybe it was that they didn't want to, but saying this, maybe it's rather that they didn't think that open source operating systems and software were there yet. And now it seems that they think it is there. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think governments are just kind of notoriously slow uh, in wanting to adopt new technology in some cases. I mean, we hear about instances of long-term supported XP still being run in government. So 
Yeah, that could have something to do with it. Yeah, that one's not surprising considering how long XP was around and how much actually ran on it. Yeah. I think one of the things that is sounds good to me is that they're not expecting to save a bundle of money. The reason they're doing it is I think it's more for the ethos of open uh, the open culture and the fact that anything that they develop can, you know, they've got control of. So if they have in-house developers developing software to run on Linux, they will have control over it rather than buying in stuff. Um, and also, this, I would imagine security and, uh, you know, keeping everything up to date is, a, is another big issue as well. Okay, moving on. Slackware 15 takes another step closer to release with RC2. After nearly a decade of Slackware 14, the Slackware 15 release is moving closer to debut and now effectively under a hard feature freeze. The Slackware 15 pre-release changelog, though, did mention we're going to have to trend more carefully for things to settle down. So consider this RC2 and a much harder freeze. A test mass rebuild was done here and there are no more fails to build from source remaining. I just tried installing Slackware, I think uh, two days ago, and it prompted me where I, where I wanted to install Lilo, which is the, the bootloader they would use on uh, legacy systems. And of course I said no. Then it prompted me to install eLilo, which was uh, their UEFI bootloader, but since I have refined, which could theoretically just boot the kernel fine and it would find it, I decided not to use that either. And then when I rebooted and I chose Slackware, I just got a kernel panic. So that's how far I've managed to go with Slackware. But I'm interested because it's right up there with Debian. I think they were released around the same time, maybe give or take a few months. And the way I understand it, it is uh, recommended for people who want to learn about how Linux works to try it at least once. So I think I will give it another try. I've never used Slackware proper myself, but I did very early on in my uh, time, uh, well, starting with Linux. Uh, I used uh, Vector Linux, which was based on Slackware. I believe it was a Canadian distribution with XFCE, and it was quite nice, but uh, it doesn't look like it's maintained anymore, I don't think. Slackware does tend to move very slowly, as you said, Norbert. Ten years. Yeah, someone did say in a forum that even though we are already at RC2, they wouldn't expect the final release before next year. Also, Leo could tell us a lot about Slackware. I think it was his. Uh, I think it was his first distro. Yeah, I do think he did mention that a couple of times. I don't remember ever trying Slackware. Maybe during my distro hopper days, but I don't remember. But it was probably still, you know, Slackware fourteen. Cinnamon five point two desktop environment released. The update includes an improved menu applet that now features better keyboard navigation for right to left languages. The ability to hide the app buttons by default and when the menu is closed, and the ability to show refreshed menu items while the menu is open. Also improved in this release are the sound and salander? Ca sorry. Calendar applets, thank you. It was a typo. The calendar applet has support for GNOME's evolution data server unified backend for apps that handle contacts, tasks, and calendar info. Cinnamon 5.2 also comes with an option to disable scrolling in the workspace switcher applet. The ability to check if a cinnamon spice is currently enabled or not. The ability to disable cinnamon as the default handler for notifications. A new confirmation dialog when removing a panel. A new toggle to turn the window labels on or off. And improved right-to-left support for the window button layout setting. Cinnamon 5.2 also respects the prefers non-default GPU desktop entry when launching apps with either the dedicated or integrated GPUs. It seems like a very nice update. Yeah. Yeah, there's quite a bit in there. Mm, I've not used Cinnamon that, that much, but uh, consider I might go and have a look at it you know, with all these changes just to see what it feels like now. Because I know it's got a bit more uh, memory friendly, so it's not a memory hog like it was when it first started. Do they usually release a, a new major version of Cinnamon around the half a year before they release a new uh, major version of Mint? Yeah, well, um, 
yeah, Linux Mint uh, 21 will come out around about June, July time next year. So if we're looking at the Cinnamon release of that, then yeah, that sounds about right. It gives time to iron out any bugs and stuff. Yeah, and I never considered how GUIs would handle right-to-left language. That seems like it would be an interesting problem to try and solve. Be interesting to know in the Cinnamon version of Mint 20 whether we get uh, 5.2 in the 20.3 release because that might happen if it's stable enough. Yeah, I'm not sure. There's quite a bit packed into this one. I don't know if there's anything that uh, personally would be uh, super useful to myself in my daily workflow, but I'm certain that this could uh, definitely be valuable to somebody out there. What's interesting is when you try to select normal uh, left-to-right text and there's just some uh, amount of right-to-left text in that wall of text. And then your selection just goes crazy. Also last year I saw a screenshot uh, sent by an exchange student to uh, on Teams to the group of one of our uh, lectures. I think it was Arabian. Even his taskbar on Windows and uh, then the resize buttons on the window decoration was uh, switched. So it was almost as like if you were just uh, mirror the entire screen on Windows. That was interesting. The start menu might have also been on the right. I'm not sure. KDE Plasma 5.24 adds overview effect inspired by GNOME's activities overview. And this one's from Pharonix. KWIN has added an overview effect for showing KRunner search results that is similar to GNOME's activities overview feature. Other upcoming features in Plasma 5.24 include... Discover has added safeguards to block any operations that would end up uninstalling Plasma in the process, since that is probably unintended. The console terminal emulator will release memory when clearing the text and has better text display performance. And a major performance fix for Qt Quick-based KWIN effects when running on the NVIDIA proprietary driver. Any optimization to NVIDIA is a welcome one. Also, I wonder what uh, <laughs> the, what made them push this fix to discover to prevent it from uninstalling Plasma elements. That's what actually happened to me uh, when I was running Manjaro KDE. It just totally wiped out all of my uh, KDE components and I lost the GUI and I had to end up reinstalling. You know who else was running Manjaro KDE after getting all of their GUI elements wiped <laughs> on purpose? Yeah. Was that you as well? No, that was Linus from Linus oh, Tactics. Linus. And I think there's a lot of uh, fixes coming down to uh, software management because of that. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, we, that is in our check this out later because I, I wanted to mention a couple of things on there. Uh, Microsoft working on Direct 3D 12 video acceleration for Mesa, also from Pharonix. Uh, Microsoft's latest work in the area of open source graphics drivers with the Mesa stack is adding direct 3D 12 video acceleration support. As part of Microsoft's continued work around supporting GUI applications with Windows subsystem for Linux and mapping Vulkan, OpenGL, OpenCL over direct 3D on Windows, Microsoft engineers are now working on adding direct 3D 12 video acceleration support to Mesa. They are also hoping to implement it so that other Mesa video front ends would be able to work off this Direct3D12 video acceleration code path. In theory, this would allow Mesa's VA API and VDPAU implementations to be able to run off D3D12 video hardware acceleration in such environments. Trying to trip me up with all those acronyms there. New features and improvements to expect in GIMP 3.0 release. I thought they changed the name of GIMP. And this is from its FOSS. A new GTK3 based UI which adds support for high DPI displays. Better Wayland support. There's always better Wayland support. Multiple layer selection to select multiple layers and perform batch operations. New plugin API which should allow them to port their plugins to GIMP 3.0. The option to use the Windows Ink API for managing input devices. Improved gesture support for touchpads. Improved file format support for the JPEG XL file format. Support for Adobe Photoshop project files has been improved as well. The last part, uh, it uh, means that uh, you can now work with uh, Photoshop files that are bigger than 4 gigabytes, which is rather large. Yeah, but with quality of cameras going up, I can see why the size would 
Linus Torvalds announces first Linux 5.16 kernel release candidate. And this is from 9to5Linux. New version will add Collabora's Futex 2 system call that brings better performance in modern games with more efficient CPU utilization when using Valve's Proton compatibility tool for Steam Play, which is always welcome. I recently heard someone, I think it was Chris, I think it was Chris Titus who said that uh, the Steam Deck and what Valve is doing will not improve gaming on Linux as much as people think it is going to. But seeing new releases in various software that is improving it every, basically each week, it kind of makes me optimistic. It's not going to improve um, native Linux development. Yeah. But it's going to improve Proton. Yes, but then as long as developers are using Proton, then Linux gaming wholly... Benefits. I meant to say that Linux gaming will depend wholly on Windows existing. Uh, not necessarily existing, but Windows isn't exactly going anywhere anytime soon anyway, so... Yeah, that's fair. If you need Pro... If Windows did magically go away tomorrow and you needed Proton for the games that currently exist, well, we have Proton, and then we wouldn't need it eventually in the future because everything would go to Linux or whatever replaced Windows. But yeah, sure, anything that adds to the kernel that will make gaming better has got to be good, isn't it? I agree. If it improves that, because a lot of people don't come to Linux because of the inability for some things that they, they play on Windows don't work in Linux. And it over the last five years, that's changed dramatically. So anything that continues that improvement's got to be good. I should add it to my bi-weekly wanderings, and I will. But um, I have done some recent gaming using Linux on the games that I normally play. So I'll, I'll talk about that more in a few minutes. But I was pleasantly surprised. On to the security update. First up, Hive ransomware now encrypts Linux and free BSD systems. From bleepingcomputer.com, the Hive ransomware gang now also encrypts Linux and FreeBSD using new malware variants specifically developed to target these platforms. However, as Slavic internet security firm ESET discovered, Hive's new encryptors are still in development and still lack functionality. Yeah, but it does. It's proof of concept, I suppose. It, so yeah. it does show that just because we're running Linux, we're not immune from these things happening. And if people want to make money out of people, they'll find a way of doing it, won't they? This is kind of like when there was a big news title about a self-driving car causing an accident, and then the developers pointed out, yes, this it, the accident happened, but it was just one accident, and they've been testing them for how many years? And like that, whenever there's a new malware for Linux, it makes the news. But then for each malware for Linux, there are 100,000 ones for Windows developed. Yeah, but if you think if you think more and more of our day-to-day things like banking and stuff like that, our financial track, we've all got apps on our phones to access our bank accounts and all that. And most of the servers that run that are running on Linux. So if a big bank got targeted with a... With a uh, ransomware uh, gang uh, encrypting their servers. Just think of the chaos that would create. For about 6 to 12 hours. Yeah, but it, but it's still not good publicity, is it? No, that, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. And it would be difficult to actually get this into a bank. But if they did, then at most it would be 6 to 12 hours that it would cause an issue. And that's because banks do this thing where they back up everything. Yeah. Let's hope there are no fish tanks in that bank. (laughs) EU needs more cybersecurity graduates, says the ENISA InfoSec Agency, pointing at growing list of master's degree courses. The EU needs more cybersecurity graduates to plug the political bloc's shortage of skilled InfoSec bots. According to a report from the ENISA Online Security Agency, the public sectors of EU countries should support a unified approach to InfoSec-focused higher education, it says, addressing an issue that is by no means unique to the bloc. 
I think this refers back to the last one, really, because if yeah. more and more, you know, security issues, you need more and more security professionals to sort them out <laughs> or to stop them happening. You should unretire, Tony. I was never in that field. <laughs> yeah, just pretend you'll do fine. <laughs> you know enough. Yeah, you know, as uh, I think a lot of times we tend to think of desk, uh, Linux in terms of desktop terms as we use it there, but it really does run the world and yeah. it's a huge oh, yeah. attack vector. So, yeah, the more people working in security, the better, that's for sure. The back end of the world runs on Linux. Yeah. Version 2.3.12 of the apt package manager now prevents breaking your system. The solver will no longer try to remove essential or protected packages. Any dependency problem that would need such a solution will have to be resolved manually. The yes, do as I say prompt for removing essential packages has been replaced with an error message. The appropriate command line option needs to be used instead. The app developers thank Linus Tech Tips and System76 for bringing this issue to their attention. I was going to say, yeah, that sounds exactly like what Linus did <laughs> yeah. when he bricked Pop! OS. Yep. Yeah, and what's interesting that this news didn't come from any website. I was just updating my uh, Debian testing system the other day, and while doing the update, this just popped up as a message. Uh, almost word by word, obviously I rephrased it in a couple of places, but yeah. I'm not sure if this update was also pushed to Debian Stable or even Buster, which is now the old stable. I would hope sysadmins are a bit more clued up than maybe Linus <laughs> was <laughs> when, yeah. when he deleted all those uh, particular files. Yeah, I saw that on the video and I could just see it on his monitor and I went, oh no, please don't do that. And uh, <laughs> sure enough. Yeah, but because it got upstreamed to Debian itself, then now this will gradually uh, come down to all of its derivatives. Now the power of a large audience. Using apt on Arch. <laughs> yeah. It was an interesting video and uh, I'll save that for the check this out section. Okay, moving on to the bi-weekly wanderings. Okay, and first up is me. I mentioned a couple of uh, shows ago that I was testing out a new smartwatch, the Fitbit Versa 3. Um, I really like the, the more accurate heart monitor and the better battery life and the um, O2 monitoring, at least for, you know, while you're sleeping, I wish it was active O2 monitoring throughout the day and that you could get it anywhere, but it's still better than, you know, other watches that I've used, but I really disliked the, um, the way the data from a workout was presented and, and the metrics on, on the weekly workout and things like that. It just wasn't very informative. Um, but recently I came across a problem that was a hard stop when it came to using the, the Fitbit Versa 3. It worked fine for a couple of weeks, no issues. But recently I started having a problem with my Bluetooth headsets where it randomly would pause my audiobook every few seconds after starting. Very annoying. I think the most I was getting was like 10 to 15 seconds and then it would pause again. Um, wow, that was really difficult because you know the first thing you think of is not your watch causing interference when it comes to your Bluetooth headset. So um, I went through all the normal testing procedures, restarting the Bluetooth devices, 10 to 15 different Bluetooth devices, um, and, and restarting Bluetooth on the phone and use different um, playback applications, thinking it might have been an, uh, an update that messed it up. That didn't help. Um, everything had problems still, but only with media playback. And calls worked just fine. No interference on calls. Those stayed up, you know, hour-long call, two-hour-long call, fine. Um, I, I even switched to using wired headsets for a few days, which was okay, but, you know, it made going on a bike ride a little bit more difficult. Um, I thought I might have fried the uh, Bluetooth inside my phone. Um, I spent way too much, I spend personally way too much time on my phone listening to things to have a problem like this. I was considering trying to use the insurance to get the phone replaced, but I, I, then I decided to check and see if the issue was a reconnect problem with the watch on a whim. Shut off the watch completely, powered it down, 
and my audio started working just fine. Bluetooth, no more problems. So I'm back on the Gear S3 Frontier, which looks a lot more classical and has the better post-workout data presentation, but doesn't have a very accurate heart monitor and for some reason like won't properly count flights of stairs. But that's uh, a motherboard issue. I should probably um, get a new motherboard for it and then it might work. Moving on from that, I have several, I had several old 18650 batteries just sitting around collecting dust. So I ordered some USB ports and 3D printed several cases to make USB power banks. These are low powered as in like one amp max output, but are very good for low power devices like my Bluetooth headsets and the flashlight on my bike. Um, will work for like a week or two on the uh, flashlight on the bike. Plus it was very fun to do and the kids liked the banks as well. I worked on these with my son. He, he loved going through the whole process with me. And I made these using uh, glow in the dark PLA that I had originally got for making Halloween decorations. And I made several Halloween decorations. I might've shown those on the show before of different sizes and gave them to my kids and put them around the house. But um, if you're watching the live stream, you can see one of the power banks that I made. And I made like six or seven of them. And I even made one of, that holds two of the 18650 batteries. And I'm really happy with how they came out. And it's a little bit difficult to get the uh, boards that are that size that have more than one amp output. Um, I also ordered myself another pair of one more triple drivers off of eBay with unbalanced sound. Um, this can be caused by several different things and I'm hoping it is one of the easier ones to fix and not a blown speaker. Although I may have enough parts sitting around at this point to fix that too. I'll have to look at the inside of the headset first and, uh, that is a very finicky fix. And I've done that fix before and that didn't work out all too well that time. Um, but I think I used too heavy a cable and I'll, I'll try some of the enameled wire that I have, uh, which is only like 0.1 millimeter wide, but I might have to double up on it just to make sure that I get the throughput that I need, but probably won't need to double up on it. Uh, I'm still looking for my next project, but other things have taken up a lot of my time. Um, I have a couple of Samsung buds that need some work. Um, the no power ones, I have not had any, any luck fixing, even with known good batteries, but I have one that has very low volume on one side of the buds. And I'm thinking that it could be an easy fix if I replace the whole front section with the speaker with from one of the ones that has no power. Hopefully that works out. Um, I'm also looking into PCBs, 5 volt or 12 volt amplifier boards, maybe with Bluetooth, maybe without. And that TV that I was working on a couple of weeks ago, um, I was, if I can't get it working, I might as well, you know, throw most of it away, but keep the speakers from it. And then 3D design and print a case for the speakers with some vented ports and add in the amplifier and possibly Bluetooth and then rebuild one of the music servers that I've done in the past using like Mopity or something simpler or similar. And um, there's a couple of different ways I could go about it, especially since I have zero double W's just sitting around collecting dust and I, I'd like to put them to use. And I, I think that would be good for it. And also within the last couple of weeks, um, I've been pleasantly surprised. I've ran Borderlands 3 on um, my garage machine, which I'm sitting in front of right now, um, which only has Linux. There's there's no Windows on this machine. And it has run very well, other than still having some issue with the uh, Vulcan shaders. But I was able to have those uh, process in the background, so that way, you know, the game actually starts up immediately instead of having to wait 20, 30, 40 minutes for the game to start while it's processing all the different shaders, because it is a rather large game. But um, yeah, it kicks off. And yeah, at first, when you first start playing because of those Vulcan shaders, there are some 
graphical anomalies, essentially, you know, some blockiness, but that will fade as those shaders process. And it, it has come out looking very good. Play has been extremely smooth. I've really enjoyed it. The gaming is improving on Linux and I would say that it looks just as good on the graphics card out here as it does on my gaming laptop inside with the, um, what is it? The NVIDIA 960, 980? I don't remember. But the mobile NVIDIA graphics card, the ninth gen one. And that's really what I've been up to the last couple of weeks. Norbert, how about you? Well, this past week I have created Frankenstein's Monster. I was using my desktop environment of choice, which is XFCE, and I remembered someone mentioning it that it's possible theoretically to swap the default window manager XFWM with something like Sway to get XFCE to work with the valence session. But then I thought to myself, well, I have an NVIDIA card, so Sway support is not quite there yet. And what came to my mind is, because I've only used Sway, is i3, because Sway is a fork of i3, so the configuration should be very sim similar. And I started looking for a guide, and I found a very interesting article that I think I will be putting uh, in check this out as well. And you can find it in the show notes for this episode also. And it was fairly simple. Uh, I had to disable XFC session and XFWM from reloading whenever they are not loaded. And I had to install PyCom, which is a compositor, Nitrogen, which is a wallpaper engine, and i3, which was, of course, the window manager. I started tinkering with the i3 configuration files. It was indeed very familiar coming from Sway, and I managed to start an XFC session with i3 as the window manager. The integration was fairly good. So it was basically XFC with the XFC panel at the top where I have it, but Windows didn't have a decoration and they would just tile full screen. And the XFC workspace uh, switcher plugin on the panel also picked up on it. And whenever I would be moving my uh, cursor or my focus to my different screens, it would switch to those different workspaces. Now, the way workspaces worked on this setup was a bit confusing because uh, because my displays are not the same resolution. So I think I couldn't just uh, swap any workspace to any display that I wanted to. So I still have quite a lot to configure. But what I want to achieve is having my two side monitors to be static. So be always on the same workspace and be able to swap workspaces on my main screen. Because I've been using my custom key bindings on the numpad, which I don't normally use for anything else, to be able to quickly uh, tie Windows and XFC to the uh, corners on the other sides of the screen. And uh, being able to have that done manually with i3 is it's just really nice. Of course, there's some more functionality that comes with XFC that I lost this way. For example, I can just uh, press my uh, Windows closing keybind on the desktop to be able to uh, bring up that uh, logout slash uh, shutdown exit session menu. But my friend who uses Sway a lot uh, told me that things like that are easy to script. So, so I think I will ask him with help for that. Now, I'm not using this setup currently for my daily driver, but I do have it uh, on one of my installations. And whenever I think it's ready to be used, I will close the switching from it on my main distro. And all of this made me realize how there aren't really a lot of window tiling solutions with desktop environments. The only one that comes to my mind is the pop shell, which can tile windows on GNOME, but there's no desktop environment which has native window tiling by default in its window manager. But maybe because uh, PopOS already has this as an extension, after System76 we release their standalone desktop environment, maybe this will be better implemented. I also had some fun adventures with trying to get things to work with NVIDIA, again. I've been using Void Linux for maybe four or five months, and I liked it specifically because I think it is to where I had the least amount of issues while trying to get NVIDIA to run. Especially after I realized that you can go into the NVIDIA settings and there's a checkbox that says Force Composition Pipeline. And most of what it does is it gets rid of screen tearing, which is the biggest issue I had with NVIDIA and XFC, and even once on GNOME, which was interesting. But I had audio issues. I wanted to record my microphone with Audacity, and at the same time be able to talk to someone on Discord. But for some reason Audacity just wouldn't let any other service to use my microphone input whenever it was recording, and the same goes with playback, so whenever I was playing back something on Audacity, I wouldn't be able to hear anything else, and whenever I was listening to something else, Audacity would fail to play back anything. And I wasn't sure what could be causing this, so eventually I tried switching back from Pipeware to Pulse Audio, but the same issues were there. And someone on Telegram said that neither of them are very good for uh, audio production, so they so they advised me to try to move to Jack. But I really wanted to solve things with uh, Pyfire, so I tried moving to Fedora, which uh, has Pyfire by default. 
But on Fedora, I had some very interesting and kind of silly issues with NVIDIA. To begin with, there were two packages for NVIDIA drivers, the AK mod NVIDIA and the K mod NVIDIA, and they were supposedly for Fedora and Red Hat slash uh, CentOS derivatives. Because of the AK mod package, when there's a new kernel update on Fedora, it can, it can auto-build the kernel modules, but if you were to use K mod, then there's a chance that it can because it's, because it's updated later. So I went with the AK mod package, and everything seemed to work well. I had some screen tearing in the GNOME shell, but I, but I managed to fix that with the, the aforementioned NVIDIA setting. Then I tried to record my screen with OBS, which failed. I'm not really familiar with how encoding works, but he was complaining about NVENC. And as I later found out, there are two versions of the FFmpeg package, one in the main Fedora repos and one in the RPM Fusion repos. And in order to get OBS to work, I needed the one from RPM Fusion. But the problem was that I already had RPM Fusion enabled, so I'm not sure what the problem was. First, I enabled RPM Fusion, then I installed the AK mod NVIDIA package, and eventually Audacity and OBS. And this time it worked. I could record my screen in an Xorg session. But the next time I booted into the system, I would just get the same error message again. So I tried to find a workaround for that, but but I couldn't maybe if someone had if someone had an experience with this and uh, has a solution, I would be really happy to hear about it because uh, yeah, I really like Fedora and I've been using it on my laptop and tablet problem free. I also considered going with Debian, but but the problem with Debian, even Debian testing, it doesn't have the latest NVIDIA driver, which I would really benefit from. So I decided to give Arch a try. I have never daily driven Arch on my main computer because I had some NVIDIA related issues, which is not surprising and which now have seemed to be gone. So I set up Arch with XFC, the NVIDIA drivers. And this time I decided to go with the Zen kernel because I've had people mention to me that on a desktop computer you should consider using the Zen kernel because of its uh, because it's better for performance. And funnily enough, as much as Arch's reputation is it being a hard to set up distro, time and time again for me it proved to be the best. It just works distro. At this time as well, it managed to check all my all the boxes for me. It had an up-to-date version of the NVIDIA driver and it worked properly and I could also get Pyfire to work properly, no problem. It's funny, especially after our discussion about uh, Endeavor OS two weeks ago, now I'm daily driving Arch, which I haven't done on the desktop before, only on my laptop, and I just wanted a distro that works, and funnily enough, this was the perfect one for my use case. And this kind of ties into the topic for our inner section. So I don't think I will be saying more about this here. So Josh, how have your two weeks been? Oh, not bad. Harkening back to the last episode, I spent Thanksgiving Day using one of my old flip phones from 2019, a cool pad snap, uh, just kind of for fun. And uh, yeah, the calls were excellent, good quality. I heard people clearly and they heard me clearly, but the texting was really dodgy. Uh, the keys ranged in sensitivity from overly so, so you'd get a bunch of different key presses when you pressed it once to basically have to smash uh, to get it to register. So, yeah, that was uh, an exercise in futility, really. Um, If I use my phone primarily as a communication tool, then it would probably be acceptable. But the lack of a proper web browser and access to applications I rely on daily means that uh, I'm reluctantly going to be locked into the Android ecosystem for the foreseeable future. So, uh, yeah, speaking of Thanksgiving, I hope those that celebrated it had a wonderful day with their friends and family. I had a pleasant day at home, and my mother cooked us a magnificent dinner, and I'm sure that uh, most out there will agree there's nothing quite like mom's home cooking. Uh, I've been asked by a good friend to build his next gaming PC for him, despite my warnings that now is an awful time to build due to prices and parts availability. He's decided he wanted to move ahead anyways. So normally I don't mind doing builds for people, but given the fact that the video alone, uh, video card alone cost him $1,500, I'm feeling a little bit uneasy about doing this one. Uh, needless to say, there's going to be a lot of investment in this machine, and yeah, I'm feeling a little hesitant about handling the parts, so I definitely have to remember to wear my static bracelet on this one. Uh, the case is also going to be tempered glass all the way around, so 
cable management is going to have to be on point, and that is certainly not my strong suit. Don't feel bad. Cable management, I'm horrible at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, zip ties, lots of zip ties. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I resubscribed to YouTube TV after canceling a long time ago due to the constant price increases. It represented good value when it started initially at $35 a month. I thought that was uh, an acceptable price point. But now, just for the base package, it's up to $65 a month. So combined with the cost of all the other streaming services I utilize, uh, my bill basically is now beyond what I used to pay for cable. And I think this is a problem a lot of people that are cutting the cord run into. So this is just a temporary resubscription for me. It's going to be a month or two at most, and then I'm going to cancel it again. But, um, yeah, I wish there was a way that we could get things. I, I know we used to wish for everything kind of a la carte and all this, and it's kind of come back to bite us. Now it is a la carte, and everybody charges a, a little bit, and it's combined to add up to more than previously. Well, everybody's not charging a little bit. I mean, 65 is not a little bit. Right. Well, if you look at there. 65 is a cable bill. Yeah, and then if you look at all the services there, you know, you can potentially add on top of it to build it out. I mean, you could easily wind up paying over $100 just on YouTube TV. So, yeah, it's it's quite expensive. So, again, only temporary, and, uh, and then I'll be uh, switching it off and just using my basic services again. Yeah, the biggest problem with streaming is uh, fragmentation. Because if I want to listen to music... I can just subscribe to either Tidal or Spotify or Apple Music and I would get, I think, 95% of the music I listen to is on all of them. But if I wanted to watch something that's only on Netflix, I have to go to Netflix. I want to watch something that's only on Disney+, Plus, I have to go to Disney+. Plus. So I really wish a similar solution would exist on streaming that we have on music streaming. Eventually, I'm sure someone will come out with uh, something similar to what we had with cable, except all online where all of these different services are packaged together. And then we can start the complaints all over again. And start the complaints all over again. We can have this solution with music because because the music streaming companies are not the ones producing the music, they are just distributing it. But with Netflix and Disney and Amazon, they are producing their original shows. But even with shows that are not, or not their originals, they seem to have inclusivity deals. Which is interesting because with, with music, because with music there don't seem to be many of those. Yeah. Well, even your different broadcast companies are coming up with their own streaming service. And, you know, if you want things from CW, then you have to subscribe to CW. But I, I think they do have a, a temporary thing where when it first comes out, it's free. But that's, you know, just them as an example. And then there, there's Hulu, which is a part of Disney, but has their own shows. And Is it a part of Disney? Uh, yeah, I think Hulu is owned by Disney now. And what doesn't Disney own? Right, right. And then there's <laughs> Crackle, which is owned by Sony. And uh, they do have a free portion, but then they also have a paid portion and et cetera, et cetera. What I found to be the best uh, solution so far is subscribing to only one of the services at a time. And when you run out of things you plan to watch, you just switch the next month or maybe two months from then, you switch to another one. And then a couple of months later, you switch to a third one and so on. That way you can have all the content from all of them and only have to pay for one at a time. I, I have two services that I pay for right now. One of them I get through T-Mobile and one of them I get because I have Amazon Prime. So I have Netflix and Amazon Prime and Amazon Prime Video. All right. Well, it's with much reluctance that I <laughs> hand this next portion off to Tony. Tony, can you please uh, update us on what's been going on with you? Uh, right. Okay. Um, well, the last couple of weeks have been uh, good and bad in parts, as they say. 
my aches and pains don't get any better. Um, my wife's been under a lot of pressure at work. She works in the health service here. Although she's not a clinician, she works in data collection and she works on uh, intensive care. And there's a lot of pressure for data about COVID and all that kind of stuff. And it's been affecting her health as well. So as a result of that, I've made a decision for the time being, I'm going to step down as a host on the show. So this and the second half, if you if you're listening to this uh, after its release uh, midweek, will be the uh, last time that I'm going to be around at least for a good few months. Uh, if things improve, I might come back. But for now, as I said in uh, the intro, it's my swan song. Uh, so uh, I hope. Uh, You've enjoyed my contribution to the show for the last three years, but uh, for the time being, I'm going to be uh, kind of sitting in the background listening to what everyone else is doing. (laughs) So on a more positive note, while the joints are still in good working order, uh, last Monday I was able to uh, go out and enjoy a day's walking with my wife and a friend. We had a glorious day here in Blackpool. And so uh, we walked from South Shore up to uh, uh, an old fishing town uh, called Fleetwood, north, about 12 miles north of uh, Blackpool. And we took a very leisurely pace of about three miles an hour with a stop for lunch. So it took us about five hours to get there and another hour to get back by... uh, to the car by tram or trolley car as you Americans might know it more for, you know familiarly uh, and like I say the weather was great so it was a brilliant day out and we had a really good time. In the last couple of weeks I've not done much in the way of tech or uh, modelling even uh, but I've been buying some models for future ref- restorations and made a couple of very good flea bay buys so uh, I did make one purchase that turned out to be a total dud um, and it was totally not what was described in the uh, in the eBay uh, description but uh, I complained to the seller and I managed to get a full full refund and I actually had the refund go into my bank yesterday so I know I've got it. Um, I was really surprised because the actual seller had 100% positive feedback and I actually fed that back to him. Uh, and said I was really surprised. So I've just put it down to uh, experience. I've got my money back. So that's uh, I'm really happy with the way that worked out. So uh, you live and learn when you buy things on uh, Fleabay. So <laughs> that's the way it goes. So uh, that's it for me. Okay, and... Um announcements our next episode 2 p.m u.s central time on sunday december 12th and you can get that converted to your time zone using the link in the show notes and our next live stream will be 2 p.m u.s central time on december december 4th and i will get that uh set up for a link here shortly please and as this part of the announcement's new, please join us on Discord if you would like to be a host on Mintcast. We need to add another body. I'm not trying to add like five more or anything, but I want to get one more in there so that way we at least have um, five total and four regulars and preferably somebody that has a bit more experience with um, Linux. If you can. Also, newbie perspective is nice too, so don't worry about that. Just, we'd like another host. And you can get that uh, live stream converted to your time zone in the uh, show notes as well. And on to Tony's final wrap-up. Okay. Um, I'm Joe, and if you like the sound of my voice, you can catch me on a couple of the other shows. The Linux Link Tech Show. That's TLLTS.org. You can find me on Linux Lugcast. That's LinuxLugcast.com. You can track me down on MeWe. Or you can send me an email, JB at Mintcast.org. And I do try to respond to every email. And you can buy me a coffee using my Kofi link in the show notes. Tony? 
Yeah, you can get me on Hacker Public Radio. I'm host ID 338. Uh, I'm on Twitter at TonyH1212. Uh, I'm still got a uh, mintcast.org uh, email. I'm th at mintcast.org. You can get me at distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. And if you want to go and watch any of my recent restorations, just pick the, a little short video of some of the recent restorations I've done. You can go to my YouTube channel, which is Tony Hughes Diecast Restos. Norbert? You can send me an email at norbert at mintcast.org. The other, other Josh. Yeah, you can give me a JT at mintcast.org, Josh Thacker on Discord, and at metal underscore foss on Twitter. And Nishant wasn't able to be with us this week, and you can catch him at nishant at mintcast.org, Rikon Ghost on Instagram, Rikon Ghost at GitHub, ghost.rikon on Discord, and maverick00783 at Steam. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Josh Lowe for his work on the web st- website, Hobstar for our logo, InitRD for the animated Discord logo, and Londoner for our time sync. Bytemart Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org and our Mumble server, Archive.org for hosting our audio files. The Linux Mint development team for the distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Clem. Thank you, Tony, for all the work you've done over the last three years. Very much, yes. Thank you very much. I will be really missing your voice. (laughs) This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mint. I know you've taken over the audio editing, Norbert, but if there's any time that uh, Norbert's not available for any reason and you need a backup person for audio editing, give me a give me a shout. Hey, folks! It's that time of year again. Time for the Hacker Public Radio 24 Hours New Year's Eve show. We encourage everyone to join us for stimulating conversation and maybe send a Happy New Year's greeting to the HBR community. We plan on starting at 10 a.m. UTC, December 31st, also known as 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we will keep the recording going until 12 a.m. UTC, January 1st, also known as 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, unless people are still on and talking. To join us, all you have to do is install Mumble. It is available on all platforms, including iOS and Android. Then, just create a nick and go to hackerpublicradio.org for the server details. Connect, join the Hacker Public Radio room, and you're there. If you can't join us in Mumble, but would like to hear the show live, we will have a stream up so you can listen. You can go to hackerpublicradio.org for the server details of the stream. So come on and join us. It's always a good time.